news, the beta reader matchup is now open for March. Are you looking for beta readers, some of whom might potentially become writing group members down the line? Are you wanting to be matched up with those writing in a similar genre and time zone so they can critique your work as you critique theirs at the same time? Your manuscript doesn't have to be complete to sign up. This particular matchup will be open to registrations from now until the 31st of March, with the matchup emails going out on the 1st of April. The only April Fools will be those who haven't signed up. For more information and to register, go to biancamaray.com, look for the Beta Reader Matchup tab, and please spread the word. The more writers we have signed up, the better the matches will be. Hello, listeners. This is your co-host, Cece, and I'm so excited to tell you about my upcoming webinar, Writing Tension. Join me on Thursday, April 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time via Zoom to learn all about creating tension, conflict, and stakes in a story. This is a super popular writing webinar I offer, and it's filled with expert breakdowns, practical tips, formulas for cracking these elements, and real examples from novels that will help you dial up the tension in your story in actionable ways. And this year, I'm doing something extra. On the Monday after the webinar, we're having a live, cozy 90-minute Q&A session in which you'll get a chance to ask your questions about the webinar. That means we'll get to hang out for two days total. And if you can't attend the webinar, and or the cozy Q&A session, don't worry. They will be recorded and shared with everyone who's registered. There are limited spots for this webinar in this new format. So if you're interested, check out the link on my Instagram page and sign up. The handle is at agent. That's at C-E-C-E-L-Y-R-A agent. I hope to see you there. there and welcome to our show, The Shit No One Tells You About Writing. I'm Bianca Murray and I'm joined by Carly Waters and Cece Lira from PS Literary Agency. Hi everyone, we have a special guest today, Teresa Belasia Saidi, who is a friend of mine and a phenomenal, phenomenal writer. Write her name down because you are going to be seeing great things from her in the future. Clarice, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So the reason I've asked Clarice on today, because down the line, once she publishes and becomes very famous and forgets the rest of us, uh, I'll be able to be in touch with her and be like, please come onto the podcast as a famous writer. But for now, I'm wanting to pick Clarice's brain when it comes to writing residencies, because I don't think there's anybody out there who knows more about them than Clarice. And I think that this is incredibly useful information for you all to know because you never know when you might want to apply for one, when it might come in helpful, and when it's going to save your butt in terms of helping you put the butt in the chair and finishing your novel. So Clarice, can you tell our listeners what a writing residency is and why they may want to consider applying for one? Sure thing. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's great for, I I think, even this kind of platform you give us to talk about residencies, because for me, part of the shit that no one told me about writing was how long a project could actually take to complete. I think once I got my MFA done, I had hoped that in that time I would 
finish my book. And I only learned while I was there that I might have to consider finding ways to keep working either full-time or part-time on my books. And residencies became a very kind of attractive solution. So residencies in general, to kind of compare them to what we think of with writing retreats, they're an opportunity to, yes, get to a place of quiet, you know, peace of mind, hopefully even like meals included, but they're competitive. So you're generally hoping to be awarded the time anywhere from a month to three, some places longer to work on a book or on a collection or a story or anything you need to make space for. Right. So you said sometimes meals are included. What are the standard things that they cover writers for during that time? It's it's accommodation, right? Yeah, you have usually accommodation. So maybe you're given a room in a house or maybe it's an entire cabin or cottage in the best case scenarios. I would say that's usually the case. A lot of residencies will give you separate accommodations for a room and like a studio space. A lot of residencies are multidisciplinary. So you will meet, you know, visual artists, musicians, other types of artists, and some are just for writers. So that's also part of kind of the variety out there. But in terms of space, it's usually at least a working space in addition to a place to rest and sleep. And often you either get access to a kitchen if you'd like to make your own meals or need to, but more prestigious residencies or more accommodating residencies will often have meals included, maybe even a chef on site for kind of taking everything off your plate and letting you focus on your work. Yeah, that sounds like heaven because there's a lot of our listeners out there who perhaps have small children or, you know, work most of the time and find it very difficult to take time away for themselves. And then, you know, obviously they can't leave those those children for Mm -hmm. months on end. So then in that instance, like a week long one would be perfect for them, right? Exactly. There's, you know, one week, two weeks. So some people need a full month. There are some residencies, although I wish more, that will accommodate you with families. I've been to two residencies where you could bring maybe three, actually, a partner, children, one of them even assisted with childcare. So it's not always kind of like the separation that we want. You know, sometimes you need to bring your children or your partner to be able to be your most focused self, but you want to get away from other sorts of distractions and commitments. Uh, There's a lot of different types of residencies, I'd say. Just give us an indication of some of the ones you've attended, because when you and I have been in touch over the past two years, you are always somewhere different. And I'm always very, very bloody jealous. So so give us a bit of an indication of where all you've been with your residencies. Yeah, I've been to several, I would say most of them in the States. I mean, currently I'm in a residency that's about a month long in Maine, in a town called Monson and the residencies, Monson Arts. I've been to a few on the West Coast of the U.S. and the East Coast as well, one in Tennessee. Um, The residency that I was referring to that, you know, had one particular artist who brought her children and a a parent to help her manage that time was actually in the South of France and a really, really lovely opportunity for us all. I've done one residency in Germany and I've done a few in Portugal as well. Wow. And, And wasn't there one in Ireland as well? Oh my gosh, yes. One of my favorites actually in Ireland. Um, That one was really unique. I was completely alone in this kind of farmhouse right in West Cork, right at the edge of the sea. It was the first time I had been so, so, so alone. But by the end of that time, and I want to say it was about six weeks, 
I felt like a, a completely different person. It kind of took the idea of a room of one's own to another level. Yeah. And, you know, I think every writer is different in terms of what their process is. Some writers do their best work when they're surrounded by other people who they can bounce ideas off of or maybe feed off of their energy and give off their energy in return. Whereas some people just really do best when they are miles away from anyone else and they're kind of forced to speak to their characters because there's no one else to speak to. So it's it's great that they can look around and find something that, you know, is really going to work for them because some people, that's their idea of hell, being on the edge of the world and no one else around to chat with. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I didn't think that I would need absolute solitude or even to be somewhere that's a bit unplugged, but that's where I finished the draft of my novels. And I, I just feel like time operated differently in that space. It's not something I could do for much longer than maybe those six or so, eight eight weeks maybe, but it absolutely warped time in a way that was favorable for me. And it helped me center my work in a way that, you know, even at other residencies is not always possible. So before we go to you giving us five pieces of advice for our listeners in terms of how they should apply for residencies and some tips you have for them, what is it that a residency gets out of having a writer at their residency? Because nothing's ever free. So what is it that they want from writers in return? Oh, that's such an excellent question, because going in, I don't think I would have understood maybe the exchange at hand. So I think some residencies, especially the older ones and more prestigious ones, really hope that you will acknowledge their contribution to your work in your own you know, journey. So on your own journey or in your own work. So for example, if you flip to the back of a lot of your favorite modern, you know, living writers, you're likely to find an acknowledgement of a few grants or a few residencies. Um, It's just kind of a way of saying a public thank, which helps them, I'm sure, with fundraising to keep more artists kind of fed. A lot of residencies have like a birth story, like an origin story about why they came to be. One of my favorite residencies, which is um, on an island off the coast of Washington, is called Hedgebrook. And they really pride themselves in their radical hospitality. And they give women and non-binary writers this instrumental gift of having a place, you know, to break bread, but also a place to really, really deepen their work. And really it all came from a woman who inherited land and wanted to support artists because she wasn't necessarily maybe able to be an artist or she couldn't see that that being an easy path for other women at the time. So really you would think that there's much more to it than that kind of philanthropy, but it's really the gift that keeps on giving for a lot of spaces. Yeah, very much so. Okay, so in terms of your advice for writers who are wanting to apply to retreats, you know, people think because we writers, we like paperwork and that is not the truth. So I hate paperwork. I hate admin. I hate bureaucracy. And so whenever I have to fill out a form for a grant or for anything like that, it's just like, oh, man. So so (laughs) can you talk us through that part of the process and your advice for having the best possible success when applying to these kinds of residencies. Yes, absolutely. I'd be happy to. I I agree. I think it's overwhelming, especially at first. It's like any other application cycle. When you've done a few, they start to get a little bit easier. But at first, it just think you just feel like this is taking up so much time and the whole point of residency is to give you time and yet here it is costing you time upfront. 
I think in terms of five tips for people who are considering applying, I would certainly do a little research, but I'll start here. I would identify my goals. Like, are you working on stories or a novel? What do you hope to get done given a chance? Are you kind of at the start of something or towards the end? And I think because having a handle on short-term and long-term goals is so important with managing expectations and also with getting a sense of you know, do you really need a residency or you, can you create a solution otherwise? A little bit different from identifying goals, I would say, secondly, identify your needs. So we all have our goals when it comes to these projects that we're working on. But what are your regular needs around work? Do you value company? Do you need absolute solitude? Do you need to be near home? Or will absence make the heart <laughs> grow fonder and your work get stronger? As we talked a lot about earlier, is two weeks enough? Is one month plenty? Do you need even less time? Uh, flexibility? Do you need to be able to drive in and out? Especially in this day and age, like we, it's important for us to have autonomy, even in spaces that are offering us a solution, because this, you never know. You may need to be able to drive in and out. All residencies are not created equally or designed similarly. So I think the more honest one is about their needs, the better chances they are that they'll save time in, ap in applications because they'll only work towards getting in the places that would offer them a real solution, right place, right time. Thirdly, I think I would also, of course, say really prepare an excellent writing sample. It's incredible to me for the applications, I don't think they're necessarily, especially after a few rounds, cumbersome. The part that is the most important part is the writing sample. You need recommendations for some places, others you don't. But just like grant applications or MFAs, the sample is king. Go in with your strongest work, have friends or peers read it in advance. I know you facilitate that for so many of us, Bianca. That's really huge, even for residency applying so that you can send a sample that's tried and true. My youngest son starts kindergarten this year. I can't believe it. One of the tricky things though about my kids being in French immersion school and me not having French as a language myself is worrying about how we're gonna assist with homework as they get bigger. They're young now, but I see it coming. We are very lucky though to live in Ottawa, which is a bilingual city of a million people. And we have bilingual friends and francophone friends. So it's gonna be really easy for our kids to pick it up at a young age through school and sports activities. But me, on the other hand, growing up where French class wasn't taken too seriously and we goofed off. I am so sorry, Madame Corrigan. We're gonna to have to make up the difference. And that is where Rosetta Stone comes in as the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it truly immerses you in the language you wanna learn. Immersion is a proven way to learn a language. Instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals, reading stories, participating in dialogues and other practical language skills to fast track your ability to communicate fluently. There are no English translations in the product. You're getting trained to listen, speak, read, write, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone users especially love the speech recognition feature. As you practice speaking, Rosetta Stone uses advanced voice recognition technology to match your audio to audio from native speakers, and then gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. So you can really hone those pronunciations, which we know is key to sounding fluent. It offers 25 languages from Spanish, French, Italian, German, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, even Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. This is the best language program to get because they have been the expert for 30 years and used by millions, thousands of companies and government organizations use Rosetta Stone to support language learning training online. Of all the apps, it is the best at speech recognition technology. So it compares your sound waves to those of native speakers. Rosetta Stone has a patented speech recognition engine called True Accent built into the program. 
So as you practice speaking, you're going to get your feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Other language apps use speech recognition to detect what you said, but Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it compared to native speakers. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Think about the cost of a one-month language course. Think about the cost of a one-hour private tutoring session. But with Rosetta Stone, you enjoy a lifetime membership and accessibility on desktop or app. And right now we have a special offer for you guys that is 50% off. That is lifetime access to 25 language courses on Rosetta Stone for 50% off, a complete steal. Do not put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the shit no one tells you about writing listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's visit rosettastone.com slash today. 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today calling all memoirists. I'm so excited to let you know that I've put together an incredible all about memoir lineup for Saturday the 11th of May from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time in which six amazing speakers guide you through everything you need to know to write a memoir that will sell. You'll get opportunities to ask questions of best-selling memoirists while also standing a chance to have your query letter live critiqued during the webinar. To see the awesome lineup and to register, go to biancamaray.com. There's an early bird promotion for the first 50 delegates who sign up. Come and join us and get your memoir groove on. I know that you have won tons of awards, Clarice. You're an amazing writer and you've been recognized as such. So, you know, obviously on your applications, you're putting in all of the awards that you've won along the way, etc. for listeners who perhaps haven't had that kind of success yet and mm-hmm. haven't been recognized for their work, what kind of things should they include? I know you said the sample is king, but I'm sure they do look at that kind of thing. So if people don't have a publishing history, mm-hmm. what, what kind of things can they include in there that might sway it their way? Well, I'll tell you this. I don't even have, if I'm honest, a very deep publishing history yet. I have been fortunate with awards and kind of accolades because I've been in circles where I've been able to apply for contests, but often contests that are based on samples. So not a ton of publishing work. Some residencies don't require even a CV. So they don't they don't care to know about your accolades. Some residency applications don't even require a writing sample. So, you know, you have to really kind of think about the different available residencies that are out there because the chances are you'll start with one that's a little bit maybe more lenient or a residency that's new and that becomes a CV builder. Then you go to another one if you need it and suddenly that also kind of supports your resume. Unsurprisingly, a lot of residencies are interested in if you've been at a residency before because they want to know that you know how to be in community with others respectfully as someone who will contribute to the space positively. So really, for me, my resume is mostly peppered with residencies at this time, but I'm fortunate, of course, I've had an MFA, the, a creative writing certificate that I completed before that. That's certainly something to put down if you've taken courses, if you've done, if you're part of a writing group, you could articulate that either in a project statement or in a CV to explain my CV looks nothing like that of a writer, but that's exactly why I need this space and time. I'm trying to advance in this direction. A lot of residencies are not just interested in emerging writers, but are interested in helping aspiring writers, that really baby stage. 
So I wouldn't rule out the possibility. I would consider looking kind of like widely. And that's actually part of the advice as well that I would give, applying widely. Yeah, that's that's excellent advice. And uh, in terms of references, so who should should people be asking for those references? Perhaps the um, retreats where they've already been or should they be speaking to their creative writing instructors? Who Who should they ask for that? That's also an excellent question. I think different residencies will speak to that. Some residencies want you to give them a recommendation letter from someone who can talk about how you've been in other writing circles. So that will tell you, oh, I should speak to, I should get a friend in my writing group to write a letter for me, or I should get that last teacher I had in the one course I took or in my program to write a letter for me. Others are more interested in, you know, something that's more of a personal reference. So you may even be able to circumvent someone who can speak to your work or to your professional kind of personality and who can speak more to who you are and and what you're trying to achieve. I would let the residency website tell me, A, what they're expecting, and B, if my experience aligns with what they're expecting. Wonderful. Okay, carry on the rest of your advice. Yeah, so that was identifying your goals for number one, identifying your needs as well, which is a little different. Preparing an excellent writing sample, which I was saying was king, and recommendation letters are helpful too, but just remember that writing sample is key. And fourth, I think I would say learn to talk about your work. Now, I think this is actually where some people maybe get tripped up. Certainly I have. I think it's really important in what is often required as a project statement or personal statement to be able to speak intelligently and aspirationally about your work. You know, you want to say what it's already doing. This is not the time. I'm speaking especially to my sisterhood of writers to be overly modest speak into what you're already doing, but also, of course, speak to what it is you want to achieve, what you're reaching for, um, why only you can write what you're trying to write or any state of urgency you feel about your project. Every book is so unique. And I think it's important to be able to be an authority about your own book before expecting others to value your efforts as much as you value your own. That's true of, you know, the whole entire writing journey. When the time comes to get an agent, when the time comes to speak to an editor, um, it's championing your own work and being able to speak articulately about it. And that was something that I really, really struggled with. And like you say, uh, Sisterhood of Writers, we, we all especially struggle with that. So it's something we need to practice. Yes, absolutely. I think you said it even better. I think it's really, really important. And that practice will come in handy later. That's another thing I will say. Applications, you know, you will apply to some things and you won't get some and others you will. But I assure you, so much of it is practice for what the publishing industry seems to require of us. That for me, it's been absolutely strengthening to my working, to my ethics, to my project kind of picturing, um, which leads really to the last piece of advice I would have, which is to apply widely. I think it's really important in general not to take things personally, whether it's rejection or resistance from anyone. I know I do, but it's key. Acceptance rates are so, so low for these residencies. I apply so widely so people will see on a resume or in speaking to me 10 residencies or 15 residencies. What they don't see is 60 rejections, right? So it's really, really key to kind of keep track of how much you're trying to really, really be kind to yourself. It's extremely humbling 
But the more you practice kind of throwing your work out there, talking about it and applying for that space, the more it takes the sting out of rejection. And the more you even kind of mark your growth. Every season or year that I think about applying to something or giving something a second attempt that I didn't get last time, revisiting my application material shows me the progress I've made when really it feels quite hard to mark that progress day to day as a writer. So I think that's something to think about. Apply widely. There's a lot of listservs that are helpful for this so that you can kind of get a sense of what's out there and you find the opportunities that are yours. Yeah. And again, that's excellent advice for building a career for writing down the line. You know, we, we're sensitive because we are writers, but we need to build thicker skins because there's rejection at every part of the publishing process. And, you know, the more you're able to just kind of power through and go, okay, it's not personal. This just wasn't the right fit for me or this wasn't the right audience, et cetera. It definitely helps. So in terms of those lists that you've said, you know, that people can find, like what do they Google writing residencies. How do they how do they find this this resource to kind of have a look to see which ones might be suitable for them? Mm-hmm. Well, I can speak to two that have been personally wonderful and almost kind of comprehensive in my experience. Essentially, I go to these websites, but very early on, I signed up for their newsletters or and once a month I get a notification of deadlines that are coming up, a quick description of a number of opportunities. And I kind of scan the email for something that calls out to me. So one is called Artist Communities Alliance. So that's ACA. Highly recommend ACA. Check out their website. But really the golden, golden takeaway is sign up for their emails because you literally month to month will get notifications with approaching deadlines and it takes the guesswork out of things. The other one that I would recommend is called Res Artists. And now Res Artists has even more in terms of, I would say, European, Asian, even Africa-based residency. So if you're someone who's a bit of a globetrotter in better days, I, I certainly would say some of us are, or someone who knows that their work needs to take them somewhere for research purposes, for emerge, you know, to be immersed in a different culture, then Res Artists is another fantastic resource. Amazing. And just to be clear, you know, if you're, say, American and you apply to France or Ireland for these residencies, you're responsible for covering your own airfare. Is that right? That's not always true. Some residencies have a travel stipend. I've I've been fortunate enough to get into a few that will refund travel or that will upfront arrange travel. Many of cases, travel is on you, but once you arrive, room and board and everything else is kind of on the residence. I mean, on the residency, so not on the resident. The difference between a residency world and a retreat world is that you're not you're not responsible for everything. A residency really is looking at offsetting some of the costs, but you can also apply, at least as Canadians, we have that privilege for a grant that might help you with getting travel help. I know certainly Canada Council of Arts has some of these grants. During the pandemic, they've had to understandably kind of limit anything that has to do with travel. But in better days, that certainly was something that they look for, that someone who's even attempting to get their work done in in better circumstances. Amazing. Amazing. Clarice, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and to share your extensive, extensive knowledge with us. 
I really, really appreciate it. And I, for one, cannot wait to see your book on the shelves one day and to have you back on the podcast so I can pick your brain and sing your praises. Oh, thank you, Bianca. It's honestly my pleasure. I'm encouraging everyone to go down this road if it suits them. And thanks for the time. And that's it for today's episode. If you have any questions about writing or publishing, please email me at theshitaboutwriting at gmail.com and I'll do my best to get them answered for you. I hope you'll join us for next week's show. In the meantime, keep at it. Remember, it just takes one yes. Great news! The Beta Reader matchup is now open for March. Are you looking for beta readers, some of whom might potentially become writing group members down the line? Are you wanting to be matched up with those writing in a similar genre and time zone so they can critique your work as you critique theirs at the same time? Your manuscript doesn't have to be complete to sign up. This particular matchup will be open to registrations from now until the 31st of March, with the matchup emails going out on the 1st of April. The only April Fools will be those who haven't signed up. For more information and to register, go to biancamaray.com, look for the Beta Reader Matchup tab, and please spread the word. The more writers we have signed up, the better the matches will be. Hello, listeners. This is your co-host, Cece, and I'm so excited to tell you about my upcoming webinar, Writing Tension. Join me on Thursday, April 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time via Zoom to learn all about creating tension, conflict, and stakes in a story. This is a super popular writing webinar I offer, and it's filled with expert breakdowns, practical tips, formulas for cracking these elements, and real examples from novels that will help you dial up the tension in your story in actionable ways. And this year, I'm doing something extra. On the Monday after the webinar, we're having a live cozy 90-minute Q&A session in which you'll get a chance to ask your questions about the webinar. That means we'll get to hang out for two days total. And if you can't attend the webinar and or the cozy Q&A session, don't worry. They will be recorded and shared with everyone who's registered. There are limited spots for this webinar in this new format. So if you're interested, check out the link on my Instagram page and sign up. The handle is at Lira Agent. That's at C-E-C-E-L-Y-R-A Agent. I hope to see you there. Great news. The beta reader matchup is now open for March. Are you looking for beta readers, some of whom might potentially become writing group members down the line? Are you wanting to be matched up with those writing in a similar genre and time zone so they can critique your work as you critique theirs at the same time? Your manuscript doesn't have to be complete to sign up. This particular matchup will be open to registrations from now until the 31st of March, with the matchup emails going out on the 1st of April. The only April Fools will be those who haven't signed up. For more information and to register, go to biancamaray.com, look for the Beta Reader Matchup tab, and please spread the word. The more writers we have signed up, the better the matches will be. Hello, listeners. This is your co-host, Cece, and I'm so excited to tell you about my upcoming webinar, Writing Tension. Join me on Thursday, April 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time via Zoom 
to learn all about creating tension, conflict, and stakes in a story. This is a super popular writing webinar I offer, and it's filled with expert breakdowns, practical tips, formulas for cracking these elements, and real examples from novels that will help you dial up the tension in your story in actionable ways. And this year, I'm doing something extra. On the Monday after the webinar, we're having a live cozy 90-minute Q&A session in which you'll get a chance to ask your questions about the webinar. That means we'll get to hang out for two days total. And if you can't attend the webinar and or the cozy Q&A session, don't worry. They will be recorded and shared with everyone who's registered. There are limited spots for this webinar in this new format. So if you're interested, check out the link on my Instagram page and sign up. The handle is at Agent. That's at C-E-C-E-L-Y-R-A Agent. I hope to see you there.